Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out about the things that are living on and around us at all times. Our microbiome is with us at all the time. These collection of fungi, bacteria, archaea and other things that are living on us all over our body can help protect us from infection and we all have our own slightly different microbiomes and these interact with those around us and our environment. We often think that we're alone. Well, not in the universe, but just in our daily lives. That when we're by ourselves, with no one else around, that we're just us, just us human, our own concept of self and identity, and it's just us there present. But you're not alone, because in and around your body, living on your skin, living inside your stomach, and in a variety of other places, is a whole raft of different archaea, fungi, bacteria, all of these things which make up your microbiome. And the human microbiome is a fascinating area of study. Some of these things that are living and sharing our space with us not only help us in certain mutualistic behaviours with us, others just are completely benign and aren't even aware of our existence just living in this place. Sometimes, obviously, these things can cause, when in imbalance, cause us all kinds of diseases and issues as well. But it's a fascinating area of research. The Human Microbiome Project, HMP, was kicked off by the United States National Institute of Health with a large grant in 2008. And in around 2014, we thought that there was around a 10 to 1 relationship between how many of these variety of other things living on us to the human cells in our body. That is to say, 10 others or bacteria or archaea living on us for every one human cell. But we've sort of revised that number down, maybe to about a 3 to 1 ratio now. And research is still continuing. It doesn't matter if it's 10 to 1 or 3 to 1 or even 1 to 1. It's still a huge amount of things hanging out with us at every living waking moment in our lives. They share with us the good times and the bad. And that's why projects like the Human Microbiome Project have been trying to analyse and understand exactly what is around us. And that includes sequencing and doing genetic analysis on all the various different things around us. Of course, these projects also have health benefits because by understanding how our own bodies and our own microflora around us react or behave to certain conditions or triggers, respond to medicine, or could help us recover from illness, is very, very important. So it's got huge implications for not only development of new pharmaceuticals, but also of understanding how we treat other diseases to make sure if we go in there with a super strong course of antibiotics, for instance, kill off all the bacteria living in your gut, that might put you at greater risk because now the natural order of your body's systems are out of balance and you've basically killed off some things inside there that were actually helping you, you just didn't realize. So that's why these kind of studies are incredibly important. Now, some researchers from the University of Waterloo in Canada have been investigating what that biome says about people and if there's commonalities, traits that are passed on, or environmental similarities between people to see if they share a common genetic makeup of all these bacteria, archaea, and so on that are living with them in their microbiome. 
Because it's been theorized, and we've spoken about this before in previous episodes of the podcast, that by tagging and analyzing the microbiome of a person and the traces that leaves in an environment, you could get basically like a DNA match that they use in crime scene analysis, for example. Except instead of trying to track your human DNA there, you're tracking the DNA signature of your microbiome by knowing, well, they have these kind of bacteria in archaea and leave this kind of thing in their wake. And the specific study that this team of researchers from Canada, these microbiological ecologists, were looking at the microbiomes of cohabiting couples. And it's quite fascinating to find that there were incredibly strong similarities between these microbiomes, these large microbial communities on each other's skin between these two couples, and pretty much an 86% match based on skin microbiomes alone. And that was recently published in the American journal American Society for Microbiology. And the two researchers, Newfield and Ross, together with Andrew Doxey, analysed about 330 skin swab samples collected from 17 sites on the participants. And they were all from the Waterloo region. They're all heterosexual couples. And they included swabs and sites in the upper eyelids, outer nostrils, inner nostrils, armpits, torso, neck, back, navel, and palm of the hands. And basically was trying to identify a ridge of the skin with the most similar microbiomes between partners. Now, interestingly enough, they actually identified the most similar area to in fact be the feet. Those areas line up the most closely. Because it makes sense, well, you walk on the floor, you share the same shower, things like that. And so between the exchange between you, your home, and back to your partner, that all sort of lines up in a commonality. But interestingly, despite this showing that there's a nice match between cohabiting couples and partners, other factors, such as uh, the sex of of a participant, what part of the body, for example, feet or nose, comparing those, were much stronger predictors. So yes, the cohabiting couples is a good indicator of similarities in microbiomes, but there's much more similarity between my nose and my friend's nose than that of my partner's nose. And that's kind of what the study was getting at. So it means that it's not a silver bullet, like in the same way that a single person's DNA can be a silver bullet for detecting them individually. But it's a pretty strong indicator of similarity between the two things. So a little bit of a way off understanding completely what all of this means, but it does show where, how our microbiomes influence each other and are influenced by the environment that we share. In the instance of cohabiting couples, they are sharing the same environment, so there's a lot of transfer between them both directly and indirectly, and that leads to the microbial communities that you share interacting and responding in new and different ways. And these are almost uncontrollable. You're not even aware of these interactions taking place either directly or indirectly, but they're just part of normal life. And it goes to show that the intricacies of trying to design any type of treatment when we try to factor in this whole ecosystem of, of microbiomes that exist on us. And this was just looking at the skin. There are still many other different communities. So talk about gut flora, for example, is another one that's very, very interesting. But, you know, less likely to be changed by a simple interaction definitely influenced by your environment and your diet, all of which things may be shared by cohabiting couples. So there's a lot more research that can be done here. But the main point of this research was to try and understand how the skin microbiomes adapt and change, not only between people, but their pets, their environment, and how these changes are influenced by their interactions with their partners and those around them. 
the microbiome on your skin all the way up to your face, and in particular, your eyes. Now, it's often not good to have things in your eyes, but the bugs that live in and around your eyes actually may be assisting you. The resident microbes that are living on the surface of the eye can actually help protect the eye from infection. And all of this has been analysed in detail by a new set of research conducted by the National Eye Institute, NEI, which is part of the National Institute of Health in the United States. And basically, Rachel Caspi, senior investigator at the NEI's Laboratory of Immunology, have been studying how the microbiome in your eye can actually help ward off invaders and keep things nice and clean and safe. Now look, we, we used to think that the surface of the eye was incredibly sterile because of the presence of an enzyme called lysozyme, which basically comes through and destroys bacteria and by containing antimicrobial peptides and everything else that sort of keeps the eye clean because the eye is exposed to all kinds of airborne microbes that are just floating around around us or anything perhaps like from our fingers that may touch and get onto the surface of our eye. But by taking bacteria directly from an eye, in this case from a mouse's conjunctiva, researchers, including Anthony St. Ledger, another fellow researcher at the Laboratory of Immunology at the NEI, were able to analyse what was present inside this microbiome of an eye, in this case, a mouse's eye. Now, what was interesting is that it wasn't clear, it wasn't sterile, it wasn't empty. There are actually things living there. For example, staphylococci, which is often found on the skin but not really seen before in the eye, as well as Coronibacteria mastidis, or CMAST. And it's very interesting because it wasn't clear whether these microbes had just arrived on the eye or en route to being destroyed, they just hadn't been cleaned yet, or whether or not they, they lived there for an extended period of time. And so they left it, and they started to culture it and grow these bacteria. But the really fascinating thing happened when they cultured these CMAST inside the immune cells of the conjunctiva. Basically, they tried to trigger the cleaning mechanism to see if these CMAST would survive being cleaned by what the normal generation process that protects your eye. And instead of, uh, well, ending up with a cleaning response, it actually created a specific protein. It's called interleukin, IL-17, but it's a signaling protein. And this signaling protein has a really, really important job. Basically, it's a critical protein for the host defense mechanism. It is a trigger to say, hey, something is wrong. Sound the warning alarms and start helping out here. And our immune systems uses these signaling proteins in different areas with different times to warn of potential issues to make sure our body starts to fight back. And what was fascinating is that these CMAST bacteria themselves were helping trigger this signal response. Now, interestingly enough, once this immune response kicks in, this flag has been waved and the immune response starts, it activates other immune cells like white blood cells and so on, and that induces the releasing of this antimicrobial proteins into the tears to help clean our eye and conjunctiva. Amazingly, this CMAST survives that. It's got an immunity to the immune response system cells itself. So basically, the CMAST calls in an airstrike from your immune system and calmly walks away knowing that it will be untouched by this process. So it's actually helping you out quite a lot. So to see if there was actually a positive effect of this CMAST bacteria living in the eyes, they did a, a controlled trial. One group 
was uh, left with CMOS. Another one was th- with, treated with an antibiotic to get rid of all that CMOS that could be living there and other ocular bacteria. They then exposed these two groups to fungus. Uh, and the reason why they chose a particular fungus was basically to try and see if they could cause any issues in the mice. Now, the mice with the antibiotics, that is the one that had killed the CMAST and all the other ocular bacteria that were living there, had a worse immune response. They were not able to eliminate the fungus that was coming towards their eyes, and they got a full-blown eye infection. Whereas the mice with normal CMAST were able to fend off the fungus. It was interesting, though, because the mice in the National Institute of Health all had this CMAST in their eyes. But mice from other laboratories or commercial providers didn't, perhaps because they'd been treated up and made healthy initially in the in the growing rooms so that they could be sent off as clean slates to other research laboratories. Whereas the CMAST itself living in the mice's eyes in these guys' lab had sort of got into a symbiotic beneficial relationship with the host, the mouse in this case. But it gave them another opportunity. They took these mice without the CMAST, the commercially new mice or mice in other labs, and they gave them some CMAST, this new bacteria, into their eyes. And then they did the same experiment again. And what they found is the CMAST was able to spread, establish itself, and give that mouse who didn't previously have it some kind of local immunity to an infection again from the fungus, the same as what they were seeing in their other set of mice, which is really, really amazing. Now, this CMAS in their eyes didn't spread to their cage mates, like we talked about before. Cohabitation is not an easy one to actually pass along bacteria for some areas, but it did pass from mother to pup. So this is a great example of how our microbiomes in humans and in animals can behave in beneficial ways for everybody and interact in really, really complicated ways that we may not think of, and also shows how when you treat something, for example, with a very strong dose of antibiotics, you may end up killing the things that are there trying to help you and keep you safe in some ways. So all this goes to further enlighten us into the importance of the microbiome and how we need to design our treatments and our medications with that in mind. And when we undertake any clinical intervention, that we can factor this in and make sure that we can improve the way our medicines work. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Our microbiome is unique, but different parts of our bodies have their own cultures and conditions. Plus, we found out how bacteria in the eye can help protect rats from eye infections. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.